for June 10th, 2013. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 258, Superman During the Purge. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matthew Rather, here from Los Angeles, to uh, host this confabulation of uh, the most brilliant stars in podcasting, um, this side of the Adam Carolla Network, and, uh, <laughs> and this is the panel. Panel! Um, in honor of revelations this week that the, the National Security Agency is spying on us all as if we didn't know they were already. Uh, that's kind of tortured syntax. As if we didn't already know they were already. Already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like who's watching The Watchmen? Like, everybody. We all know. Anyway, continue. Who's watching the Watchmen? Watching the Watchmen? Watching the Watchmen? Watching the Watchmen? Watching it's the- Watchmen all the way down. <laughs> uh, in honor of uh, the revelation that we live in a technocratic surveillance state, what is your favorite fictional uh, surveillance state? Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I'm going to take a big chug on my uh, drink because first in the alphabet is Peter Fenzel. I just like to say hi to all my buddies up at the uh, at the NSA, who I'm sure are listening to the podcast. Love you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, I like to thank everybody over at Northrop Grumman or any of the other military contractors <laughs> yeah, who are listening to right, our podcast. Yeah, Pal- Palantir, right? Like is analyzing <laughs> this data. Don't give anything away. Uh, <laughs> I like to say I'd like to say go. You know, go NSA spooks in your softball league this summer. <laughs> <laughs> And we've been watching you when you were a little soft in the three spot, people. A little soft in the three spot. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, – I think my favorite surveillance state has got to be uh, the, the – is it a kingdom? I'm not sure. I'm going to go with Thundera, the <laughs> land of the Thundercats. Because uh, as you all might know, these sort of omens uh, held by one Lion-O, uh, the if not the official leader of the Thundercats, then certainly its most ostentatious member, uh, is able to use the, uh, the sort of omens. He uses the sort of omens uh, and its power of sight beyond sight to monitor all potential illegal activity uh, in the Thundercats realm. Ah, uh, oh, gosh. I feel like I want to change my answer already because there's so many great options, but I've already picked one. Because um, I've written about great – I think fictional surveillance states that are like sort of with animals are especially hilarious where it's like, oh, it's okay because it's a cat watching everybody. Yeah. But shouldn't be threatened that it's like Lion-O, the talking spandex cat, who's like tracking our every movement to make sure that we're not Mumra or Mumra affiliated and thus need appropriate jump kicking. Um, but yeah, I guess – uh, Mumra, I like that the whole surveillance state is focused in this one object, which is just impossible to secure for any reason, right? Like, it's just, there's, like, no mechanism to prevent people from constantly fighting over it other than to, like, literally put it in the hand of a guy who goes around jump-kicking people. Uh, and, like, what would happen to Thundera if Mumra were to gain possession of the Sword of Omens? Like, what if you could just, like, walk into the NSA and, and, like, um, and, like summon a jackal? to like fist fight the head of the NSA and then you could see everything and you could call the Thundercats. Uh, but I think the main reason I like it is that it appears that a sort of omens has no real practical impact on the actual lives of people who live there or animals. <laughs> it's just like Lionel just uses it occasionally, like predictably once an episode to find out what the plot is, uh, which is the same reason that we would use it in that way. The sort of omens is us and we are the watchers. Do I have to follow that? <laughs> <laughs> I can give my second one if you want more time. No, uh, I'm, I'm good to go. That's, okay, okay. Matt, team me up. Yeah. Well, next in the alphabet, following and, and dare I say topping that, will be Mark Lee. I don't know. Okay, so what did, we framed this originally as our favorite surveillance state or the best. <laughs> Uh, oh, I don't know if it's the well. Is there any difference between the favorite thing and the well, best? Yeah, thing? In, this, in best, America today, I, there isn't, right? It's like yeah. the thing you like the most is obviously the best thing, yeah. and 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 fi to anyone who say different. Right. Best security um, state implies, uh, you know, the security state which is most effective at monitoring every piece of communication, everything that's happening within its borders. Uh, favorite means yeah. just sort of like you know, I I enjoy it the most. Um, I'm gonna go with Mordor, which is my favorite, but it's not the best. <laughs> because it has this one really powerful uh, surveillance instrument 
the eye of Sauron, which can, you know, see uh, everything happening within one particular field of view, but nothing else apparently in the other directions. <laughs> so let's imagine if, like, you know, the United States were this um, security surveillance state and uh, it's, it's one sec- intelligence gathering apparatus was this really awesome spy satellite, but just that one. <laughs> yeah, or, or if all the cameras pointed west. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, first of all, Sauron does have access to the Palantir, which are the name of an actual spying company, <laughs> right? He has the, the Palantir. He has one of the Palantir, which he uses to see into and corrupt the minds of people like Saruman, right? This, the scrying stones that are capable of communicating over great distances. I don't, I guess they offer... Nazgul also, right? Which are the field agents. Yeah, although we really are looking at more sort of like, uh, we're not looking for sort of meat space means. No. So it's either technology or sorcery that we're looking at here. <laughs> um, but yeah, but these, the Eye of Sauron, I did, I did like that as a, as a mechanic in old school video games, where where, like there would be a spotlight that would be moving around the screen and you would have to sort of avoid being seen by the spotlight. I think that was something in Golgo 13 and might have been in the first Ninja Turtles video game for NES, uh, a mechanic in those things. Because uh, it's easy to represent. It's intuitive to understand, uh, right, that the big spotlight looking at you means something. And so it would be cool if we had one big spotlight. It's sort of like the Nikola Tesla model, right, of having the giant like death, <laughs> lightning death beam, just like a giant tower in Nebraska that can shoot lightning at anyone. And that's like something he actually thought was actually going to happen. Uh, all right, I will do. Uh, I will do mine now. And I think that we, I, I mean I think we each have like a couple of these, so we'll do some honorable mentions afterwards yeah. because uh, I think we have to. My favorite surveillance state is the community of werewolves in the Twilight series of books. <laughs> because but wait, wait, wait! He just said that we're talking about um, what technology and sorcery, not like meat space surveillance. Well, I w- okay, sorcery. All right, sorcery. Go on. I think the occult powers might count as, as magic. I think. Uh, well, I'll, I'll allow it. I'm going to say I'm going to turn to the judge. And uh. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the uh, right because the second that you have a thought as a werewolf, or the second you join the pack, all your thoughts are available throughout all of the network, uh, all of the network of werewolves. And so you know um, who likes you know who likes who who's stupid whoever you know who who uh, I don't know has uh, you know I don't know fallen in love with the mother of a of a half vampire you yeah, know abomination child peeing on a baby right <laughs> that's what he does right um, yeah all of that right yeah when when he imprints on when he marks the baby as his territory um, I never tire of that <laughs> so so wait by what mechanism do the werewolves share this information is it is it like biological is it like a radio transceiver is it magic is it explained is it TCPIP yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That way it's TCPIP so that if you take out any one werewolf, the signal reroutes around the missing <laughs> node, right? And can, uh, you know, can reach its destination um, anyway. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's, it's given, it's given, we are given to understand that it is a sort of quasi physiological uh, just property of the werewolf or rather shapeshifter community uh within um uh, within forks that uh, uh that they can all just hear each other's thoughts that there is a it's and and what it is is it's a like a uh a, you know fictional literalization of like pack mentality you know the pack sort of thinks with one mind um kind of like the borg uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Except the Borg also have like radio transceivers, right? So they can like actually literally network with each other over means that we could potentially understand. Yeah. I guess it would have there have to be some in order for so in order for the information to pass from one werewolf to the to another werewolf, right? Like it would have to have some sort of matter energy form, right? It would have to have some sort of like wave particle duality right. of some kind. Yeah, like, and, in so order there to, is, and so then it would like, it would de- decay right uh, with distance according to the inverse square law I guess, right? And like, do you need line of sight, werewolf to werewolf in order to transmit well, clear, your thoughts? Not, right? Clearly not. I mean, if 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 like, because clearly Jacob is inside sometimes. Is he, isn't he, is he all outside? I guess that, is that why he takes his shirt off all the time? <laughs> because his skin is actually the an- antenna there's some like galvanic you know uh sort of phenomenon that happens on his skin that uh that allows him to receive the werewolf thoughts coming at him from all directions yeah this hey, is so- good 
Can, can we loop back to the, the Borg as a surveillance state? Yeah, I, I teed that up for you so well. I was expecting a speaking of the Borg. Well, I'm glad I didn't take uh, take you up on the teeing up because then we didn't have that great line about uh, Jacob taking off his shirt to improve uh, reception. <laughs> um, okay, so the Borg isn't really a surveillance state because when we're talking about a surveillance state, um, it implies that uh, the, the citizens of the state are not really consenting to being surveilled upon. Like, really, if they had their druthers, they would not have Big Brother spying upon them. Well, all I mean, the, time. the Borg may not consent, but resistance is futile. Well, I mean, that's kind of the point, right? Is that uh, w- without any uh, individuality or sort of decision making or, or, or will in, in, in that way, the Borg cannot be uh, a real surveillance state. But anyway, the, the, the point is that um, when we're talking about surveillance states in the Star Trek universe, um, we really should talk about the Federation it, to the extent. Well, it's kind of a question of like, is the, is the Federation, as it's depicted in canon in Star Trek, a surveillance state or not? Now, so they clearly have the computing power to do this, right? You know, if in the 21st century, we have all this amazing computing power to, uh, to appear inside the, the Gmail accounts and Skype chats of everyone uh, in the United States, uh, certainly the Federation could do the same uh, with much more computing power in the 23rd or 24th century. Um, however, it is worth noting that whenever, um, in, at least in Star Trek The Next Generation, when they ask, they want to address the computer, they want to engage the computer, they say, computer, blah, 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 and ask them the question. As if the computer wasn't listening to them uh, until they said computer. All the time, that does right? Pro- that provides them a certain illusion of control over the situation, right? Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, right, that's like saying the engine of your car is only running when you push the gas pedal. I mean, no, the engine of the car is running all the time, even when you're at a stoplight. It's just that you, you sort of engage the interface when you push the gas pedal, right? Or... Or I don't know, or maybe that's a bad analogy. That radio is only transmitting when you turn on the radio in your car, right? Like, and that that's the only time that radio is operating. Well, no, I mean the radio station is all around you. Uh, yeah, all isn't the that time. weird that like that our it is some comfort to me that our podcast is passing through the bodies of billions of people who will never listen to it. Uh, just like through various uh, internet protocols. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose that all the wireless, all the wireless transmissions, you know, uh, right? I mean, there's there must be someone in some overseas location listening to our podcast, such that it is transmitted via satellite. And so, I like to think of our words raining down over an unsuspecting Earth in binary form. <laughs> Uh, uh, this this reminds me, of course, of my other favorite uh, surveillance state, which I've written about for the overthinking it, uh, for overthinking it before years ago, which is the Care Bears, because right? <laughs> they live in their city, their clouds in the sky. I believe they have some sort of machine that tells them when someone is unhappy, right? And they like dispatch these like you know paratrooper commando squads of bears to go down and stare at people until their feelings are acceptable to the collective right and it's the stares like the the tummy that shoots the rainbow lasers or whatever it is that they transmit which would also have some sort of wave particle duality would have to obey the laws of physics to some degree i suppose the care bear stare um but yeah like the surveillance is what's like up high i guess uh, what makes me what, what what makes me really think about all this stuff um in the context of current events, is how untroubling a lot of these surveillance states are in fiction, right? Which I sort of touched on before. I mean, we're not we're not troubled by the Federation's surveillance state. I mean, I guess we could be because we overthink that so much, and we could extrapolate it into our own world. But like, I, I, I never it never occurred to me watching Star Trek: The Next Generation that like Riker was constantly being watched by the computer. Sure. Right, like that, like that, uh, that you know, Riker is in his room playing the trombone, and that the computer has like already pre-recognized the song that Riker is playing on the trombone, so that if Riker asks what song it was, it will have already figured it out. Right, like um, that's pretty freaky when you think about it. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm not that scared by it. Wait, what is freaky? The computer, like some uh, bit of code that is doing it, or the purpose behind the code that was written for it? Right. So, uh, I mean, we, we don't think again. I don't think we have anything in this in canon to uh to inform us on this but um like you know is there the an equivalent of the nsa in the federation right either humans or computer algorithms that are scanning all of the uh murmurings of starfleet crew listening for um i don't know in, 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 uh, uh, treasonous uh men- treasonous talk or just you know like out there just intercepting all the communications out there through the subspace fields and trying to crunch them for looking for signs of a romulan attack or something i mean once yet again we have arrived at a babylon 5 situation through star trek <laughs> 
<laughs> because and I mean there probably is is the answer because none of us are are Ben Krinsky, the world's greatest authority on Star Trek, uh, so we don't know all of the extended universe, uh, which it probably isn't even a word they use for Star Trek. But in Babylon Five, you have uh, what the, you have the Night Watch and the Psycor. Right, which are sort of two mechanisms of government that are that are tasked with with monitoring people. Uh, the the Night Watch is a group of literally of like sort of arm banded thugs. Guards the wall. They guard the wall at the top of space. To yeah, prevent. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are the last best hope for chast- for celibacy. <laughs> uh, but no, they. Um, but yeah, no. It's like they give you a little bit of extra money in your paycheck, and in exchange for that, you like wear an armband, and it becomes clear, painfully, painfully clear over the course of the show that you're actually working for a very corrupt government, and you're, you know, ratting out all of your friends and and uh, for any sort of seditious talk that they might have. And they also have like actual psychics, like they have interrogators who go around and uh, and read people's minds and and scan their feelings and whatnot and try to determine. Although they're mostly concerned with controlling the other psychics, which is the sort of another aspect, another sort of model for the for the, the surveillance state right where it's like um, the government doesn't necessarily have to control the people it has to control the telecommunications companies that control the people right like um, you sort of you hit them in nodes so like where the information passes in and out of and as long as you have some sort of mechanism for watching over that and watch out of way I mean in Babylon 5, there's no, the, the answer is that humanity has been corrupted by an ancient evil civilization <laughs> that has, like, borderline paranormal powers. Uh, so it's like this is not really something that can be solved by political means. Uh, it requires rather extraordinary measures, uh, not ones that would be available to, say, us uh, or the Care Bears, mind you. But um, So I don't know what the solution to that kind of thing is. I mean, it's like... I guess the, the, the question to me that the Star Trek solution... The Star Trek situation raises is... Because Gene Roddenberry wouldn't have wanted to think of it that way. He would have wanted to think that the, 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 the uh, Federation has solved these problems. This, this sort of both the balance of, of privacy versus you know, freedom versus commitment to the to common good would all be resolved by the 24th century or whenever the original series takes place. Sorry for not knowing. Uh, so he would resist very much the idea that they need to confront the realities that their technology is raised. But it's like once the technology exists... You know how does it? How does the how does the surveillance state, as at least as a possibility, not loom over everything around it? Right. It's like how, to, how once you have a sort of omens, how is it that Lino isn't spying on everybody in Thundera? <laughs> right. Like once you have a Care Bear stare, how is it that anyone's emotions aren't constantly being stared at by some sort of animal? Well, right. Like I, I was just I was reminded I, when we were talking about this. Uh, I remember that there is actually something in canon which gives us a sense of uh, the extent of the Federation's. Uh, internal uh, surveillance apparatus, right? Which is to say that in Star Trek Next Generation, Star Trek Insurrection, the the internal surveillance is not so strong that it can like see Captain Picard taking off uh, his his Starfleet uniform and then like you know packing uh, a small arsenal to uh, uh, to use to defend the, um, the, uh, the 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 alien race that looks remarkably human from uh, from the Federation and its uh, other alien. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, but I think that that's sort of soft peddling the. That's sort of soft peddling the storytelling, right? Like the idea that, like, at several points in in the TV series and probably the movies too, for all I know, there's a, you know, the someone asked the computer, you know, computer, where is uh, Lieutenant Commander Data? Computer, where is Lieutenant Worf? Right? And the computer answers instantly. And you know, in order to be able to answer that question at any given point, you got to at least check in with, you got to at least ping the person, right, to make sure that they're they're uh still on still on the ship right so like the the uh the computer should know i mean or at least should know that something is going on even if it can't interpret uh interpret the the goings on but this is i mean this i don't know this i'm kind of with pete with what pete said like this is part and parcel of the um this is part and parcel of the the liberal fantasy at the the heart of star trek right which right. is that uh uh, yes, of course, there's a surveillance state, but it doesn't matter because the right people are con- are in control of it, right? Like, which is, I mean, which is interesting because it it um, Star Trek and, and, and no one would ever abuse it, right? By <laughs> downloading Commander Riker's trombone playlist and uh, using the embarrassing contents within to uh, destroy his career. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sure, or or I don't know, right? Like. Uh, 
Yeah, well, because no one is jealous in the 24th century, right? Like, human nature has changed to such an extent that, um, you know, Troy would never, Troy would never write, like, publish the Riker sex tape, you know? (laughs) (laughs) On the, uh, uh, on the the subspace net, right? Um, She might want to let someone else watch it so that she can empathize with their feelings. (laughs) Uh, That's over the line. (laughs) I think all this to say that like we're not going to find a lot of insight onto the current NSA prism scandal in Star Trek, right? Yeah. Um, but but to, to the broader point here, like we are looking for insight into the current NSA prism scandal in our broader pop culture because we have so many stories about surveillance states, about dystopian uh, totalitarian regimes, right? That we're using the stories that uh, have already been told to make connections with people in when we're establishing this discourse on this topic. Whether it's being done effectively or not is a different thing. I think we might want to get uh, into that, right? Particularly with uh, mentions of uh, George Orwell's 1984, right? No, oh, here we are, you know, Big Brother's watching us, 1984. Everybody's knee-jerk reaction is, is to make that reference. Um, although I, I don't have a lot of confidence that it's being done uh, with a lot of precision or knowledge as to what people are making that reference to. Uh, why don't you elaborate on that? You mean that literally people are not having their faces devoured by rats? Spoiler alert. This podcast will have spoilers for George Orwell's 1984, which was published not in 1984, sure. like the Van Halen album, <laughs> but long beforehand. Actually, um, wait, the Van Halen album probably wasn't published in 1984, right? It's probably published in 1983. Uh, this I'll, podcast I'll will also up. have spoiler alerts for Apple's 1984 commercials, <laughs> where the, the shot putter or the discus thrower or the hammer thrower or whatever um you know breaks a screen that represents ibm or something yeah okay so let me just uh, just flesh out what i'm what i'm talking about here um which is to say that um whenever you see 1984 being referenced by a politician in a speech or in an internet comments thread or anything else in between that in the spectrum of discourse um you know you're gonna have people who have a, a pretty strong understanding of the text 1984, what it actually says and what it doesn't say. You're going to have people who read it in high school, uh, what, 10, 20 years ago, and kind of remember what it's about, but don't remember any of the details of it. And then other people who um, who haven't read it at all and maybe have read the Wikipedia plot summary uh, and, are, and are still making references to it. Um, now, all this is to say that, like, you know, uh, to, to make an appropriate reference to 1984, I don't, one sh- shouldn't have to be like, you know, ha- have a complete and commanding memory or understanding of all the plot points of it, right? Like, you know, these references are a shorthand for a reason, right? Because, uh, you know, we can tap into a broad understanding of a piece of pop culture. And by definition, if it's broadly understood, then, like, there's going to be this range uh, of thoroughness that people understand it, right? So all this, like, what I'm getting at here is that, um, like, this is an interesting case study in how we use... Um, these pop culture references uh, when we're talking about complex subjects to help people understand them. Uh, it's just tricky when it's, uh, when it's something like NSA prism, right? That is so controversial that it is in itself very complicated and requires a lot of careful thought, which, you know, might be short circuited when you just say, Ooh, 1984 George Orwell. Right. So, so is there a particular shortcoming in terms of referring to the story that jumps out at you, or is this just something? Is this more something that you're just saying as sort of a general statement? Is there an aspect of 1984 that you feel like should be talked about more? Um, it's more of a general statement because if okay. there were a particular aspect of 1984 that I feel like should be talked about more, it would require me having a fuller understanding. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm in that uh, second category that I described earlier. Right? I read it in high school, um, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe I finished it. Maybe I fleshed out the rest of it with a Cliff Notes, uh, you know, when it was t- exam time and hadn't read the whole thing. Um, you know, I am not a for- foremost expert on uh, 1984, which is, well, at least for me, I'm, I, I, that, that gives me pause. Uh, you know, like, I'm not going to make a reference to it because I don't recall it so specifically. But other people are, well, may not have that same sort of uh, constraint. Restraint. I mean, the guy does have his face eaten by rats. Well, 1984 is also notable because it uh, has that plot from Star Trek The Next Generation with the four lights in it. Right? Like, that's where that yeah. comes from. Yeah. Uh, it takes it, I think that it went 
Picard went back in time and inspired George Orwell. He did a slingshot through the gravity well of uh, Stalinist communism uh, and was able to travel back in time. I mean, I guess what? Like, I, I don't know. I guess two things about 1984, the book, always have jumped out at me. Well, I guess I'll say three things about 1984, the book. The first one is that it's a love story, which is often forgotten, right? And that the sort of uh, – Between the government and its people? Uh, no, between a man and a woman who, by virtue of being a woman, has little agency of her own, but he thinks that she can solve all of his problems. So it's like a classic uh, inadequate love story uh, in the sense of like, well, I think she actually um, – yeah, gosh. Uh, he's like made to betray her under interrogation uh, and, and admit that he never loved her. Um, gosh, yeah. he. Oh, yeah. He, he's a – yeah, he, 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 like, he wishes the rat torture upon her after he's been tortured by the rats. Well, it's yeah, like but it's whole- almost – it's so, like, it, the guy has, like, a primal fear of rats. And so, like, af- after his long process of political re-education, the last – the last stage is to eradicate his love for the girl, which is, you know, what, verboten, right? Um, because, uh, I don't know, for whatever freaking reason, um, the, the, by, you know, threatening him with rats and the, the, the mere threat of, of rats, because this is his primal fear or whatever, uh, is so, you know, horrifying to him that, uh, he he says no. Do it to her instead of me, and that's the that's the the moment when it snaps. Right. Sorry, right I mean right. that's more or less what she said. I was just unpacking it a little. Bit. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So yeah, definitely. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. So like with that in mind, the second thing that I'll say about 1984 is, and this is this is related to something that one of my high school teachers told me about it back in the day, which is that it's not just about it's a it's a two it's there's. Two mechanisms. Well, there's three mechanisms in in the book. I keep like expanding my schema. As we all know, classification is a great substitute for knowledge. Uh, so, <laughs> the, the first the first action that the government does is, you know, it it pull it, it monitors everybody. It has these little panels in people's rooms, these telescreens, where the government is monitoring everything that you say and do. And they're out in public, and they're in private. And if you do or say things that are against the government, then the government thugs will come and get you, and they'll torture you and probably kill you. Um, and you'll be disappeared, right? And so there's this way in which what you're saying uh, goes to the government. There's also this mechanism uh, which is talked about a lot, where the government sort of changes language, right? It, like it, it enforces um, ways of, uh, uh, you know, it, it bans the use of like negative verbs, right? Like everything is positive. You're not allowed to s- disagree with things. You can only say that they're less good than other things. There's the whole new speak aspect where it tries to control the discourse by controlling the language. Whole other aspect. The one that is sort of the simplest. That I think is often uh, ignored in discussions of 1984 is that the government issues a ton of propaganda, like all the time, right? The government is telling you what to think, and it is presenting – like Big Brother is watching you is not just the telescreen in your room that is monitoring your thoughts. It is giant pictures of Big Brother that are everywhere, right? And the idea is that the pictures of Big Brother in themselves, which are modeled off of real giant pictures of giant faces, right? If you ever look at the old like uh, – um, headquarters of Mussolini with the giant head on it and the word C right all over it, right? It's really creepy and like it's amazing that it existed in real life. Or the portrait uh, of Mao that still hangs in, um, in, in, it's still in Beijing, right? Exactly, exactly. Which is like that the, the, the image of the thing that is watching you is, uh, presumed to be as important, if not as important, then certainly comparably important to controlling your behavior as the actual people that are actually watching you. So a, a, a surveillance state that you do not know about is very different from 1984, where everyone is very aware of the surveillance state, and, and the image of the surveillance state is really a powerful social control mechanism in and of itself. And so what my high school teacher at the time said, and which I think you look through uh, the history of American pop culture, you see a lot of good articulations of this. And, of course, we talk about pop culture because it somewhat relieves us of, uh, of the, the pressure of talking about uh, actual political figures, <laughs> which to a degree like, makes this a much more difficult conversation. We're, we're using it as, as sort of a, a safe way to have this conversation, um, is that 
it's not like American society was just full of all sorts of sedition that was really meaningfully going to overturn the established order. Like for much of the, the at least its recent history, like at least through the 20th century, 19th century, it's not like America is a tumult of revolution. Like we like to talk of ourselves as as being a place that's founded by revolutionaries and has a lot of freedom, but we have a lot of social institutions that are very very strong. And one of the things that my high school teacher would say is that like the state doesn't need. And this was before the internet was a thing that everybody had in their house. Uh, it was a thing that a couple of people had. But um, the, the government doesn't need to monitor you, right? The government just needs to put out its presence to you. And not even the government, but the combination of the public and private interests. They just need to be in your homes. They just need to be showing you that image. He was talking about television and how he was telling us to not watch television and instead do our homework, right? And he'd say, like, the television in your, in your house is as much of a telescreen as a television that was actually monitoring your thoughts or monitoring your actions, right? Because uh, by by putting because it's filling yeah, it's filling two of the functions that you talked about, and one is one is constantly interpreting the world for you, and two is yeah. sort of putting the image of the dominant of the kind of hegemonic discourse, putting the hegemonic discourse in front of you. Exactly. And I mean, I get in arguments with people about this all the time, uh, both in real life and on the Internet, where it's like, oh, you can just ignore the advertisements, right? Like, if you don't like the advertisements, just don't look at them. Pete, I, I get junk mail, but I just shred it and throw it shred away. It. Junk mail doesn't affect me because I just throw it out. It's like, well, gosh, someone should tell the people who send junk mail so they stop sending it. Right? Like, <laughs> just clearly, if it's junk mail, it's never – it's only, only people who open their junk mail are affected by it, um, which is clearly why websites are ever paid by ad impression and not for clicks, which, again, is rare, but – or at least of a lower degree, but still. The point is that, like – 1984 has a whole systemic, systematic way of affecting your behavior. Yeah, and I just want to point out, overthink, overthinking it is is paid per ad impression and not not buying clicks. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're big, big Otis is watching you. <laughs> yeah, we're paid for you to throw out your junk mail. The basically. all the all seeing thought bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which if, actually, if you are throwing out the junk mail and using an ad blocker, you are, you know, uh, effectively preventing us from making our efforts sustainable here. So thank you very much. Right. Uh, right, right. I but know. I mean, this adds a whole other aspect to the idea of the surveillance state and watching and being watched. I mean, Network, right, is a big movie about this. Sure. Where- well, actually, I mean, it's actually we're talking about ad, you know, ad internet ad stuff i mean i'm you know i'm comfortable talking about it actually as as regards overthinking it right like one of the functions of ads is that uh that they advertise to you and that you know they create favorable brand impressions or sort of affect you in subliminal ways by being there another function of ads on the internet is that with each ad comes this little javascript tracker right that you know knows certain things about you um like uh you know if you visited other websites that have that tracker right that use that same ad network then they know what websites you've you visit your ip address has visited right like they know certain things about your the technology that you're using and and from you know uh they know your ip address so they have a pretty good zip code on you and from those things they can construct a, a profile of you know your gender how old you are what range your income is likely to be in right and things and things like this i mean because internet ads are actually computer programs that run in the browser on your computer where there is believe it or not just an astonishing amount of I- information secreted uh about you um you know one of the functions of them is is to collect that and the little you know the little flashing icon for one weird old tip to make your teeth whiter right like does not uh is is kind of incidental to the larger purpose which is to aggregate a lot of data about you and uh about you know internet people in general and to what to sell that to people who want it so let me pause for a moment and just uh, sort of ground us in, in the in the conversation here because what Pete was talking about in 1984 uh, and, and the purpose of this of the surveillance state was right to suppress seditious thought and action right uprising against the government and people saying that um you know uh, what we have actually in our reality in our realities today is not a lot of that right people are uh, very heavily invested in their institutions and, and they really don't want to see them uh, crumbled at least not. Well, that, that's not necessarily what I was, but yeah, sure. Well, you can go from there. I, I, and, I make some small adjustments to that. But sure, uh, just, 
yeah, so bear with me on this. And then, and what Matt was just saying earlier is that right now, what this, um, what a lot of the power of <clears throat> of the technology that aggregates stuff about us that sort of violates our privacy violates our privacy is being used for commercial purposes, right? And uh, and to carry things further, what the government is at least ostensibly doing with our data in Prism is looking for terrorists, right? And so um, this is just to say that when you know why we are talking about this is because um, the leap from what's happening right now to the future dystopian state of 1984, right? That the the our storytellers, our fiction creators, have imagined that for us and have sort of like you know given us these scenarios in some ways that allow us to say that oh right now it's being used for these things but they could in fact be used for very different nefarious things in the future and this is why we should be worried about it that that's the function i mean that that's the function of the fictional representations of these things it is a function of i mean i think i think getting everyone each yeah sorry go ahead no well it's not i i think maybe it's not even that i think it's it's maybe they maybe um express kind of anxieties right that are that cultural anxieties that are in the air rather than being a specific warning because a lot of the time in fiction the the um uh, you know as with the federation the the representation of the politics and of the the real implications of the technology is is kind of incoherent right like it's some things at some times and other things at other times uh that you know um but that there there is a that there is a kind of anxiety right that there is a larger sort of there is a uh sort of larger social feeling that is expressed um Right, that is expressed in these things, especially in the genre fiction, especially, I mean, the pulpier, right, the less high art you get, I think, the more, the closer you get to these, um, you know, the closer you get to these things, like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, in horror movies, I think, they're, not that I watch a lot of horror movies, I, I don't, they scare me, and I don't enjoy that for some reason, uh, but... Um, you know the uh the uh you know the stuff that's there sort of encodes right encodes those horrors probably more than i don't know the the film adaptation of everything is illuminated or something or i i'm just picked a general well, high culture you, you, property. you know this reminds me of something we were talking about in the pre-show which is a little bit off of our current topic about the surveillance state um but it does speak to this idea of uh, you know genre fiction um, uh, taking our anxieties and and, and putting them in, into the story form, right? Which is uh, the purge, Pete. Oh, you wanted to talk about the purge? Uh, I, I think so. This sounds like a good, a, as good of an opportunity as any. I thought you I was teeing it up during the purge. You don't have to segue between topics because all crime is legal. This is the <laughs> just, you could just bump one topic right up against another topic. You could try to segue into a totally different topic and just totally change, and no one could do anything because it's the purge. Are you saying that 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 uh, not segueing is a crime. <laughs> I, I I brought up horror movies. I just want to say that I thought <laughs> for a second time on the podcast that I was serving up like a belt high fastball uh, <laughs> for you, and no one like no I one even bothered. Whole, I had this whole swing. thing about how uh, the the surveillance state that makes us buy cereal does us more bodily harm than the surveillance state that hunts terrorists. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I think that's right, right. I think that that's the I, I think that that's the important thing that like the the real power turns out not to be political not to be totalitarian it turns out to be economic right power yeah. that uh, turns out that the uh, apologies to to uh, uh to merlin man um turns out uh that right that it's it's that that this is the kind of uh that this is the actually the kind of occult order um that you know kind of hides in that hides in plain sight and sort of goes to great goes to great trouble to ensure that the assumptions underlying it won't be questioned. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. They, like, we are so far from the point of changing any of that stuff that it seems trivial to advertise a breakfast cereal. Well, and like the, isn't that funny? Did you, did you catch on last week's Mad Men, right? When Don said, well, you know, adults don't eat cereal for breakfast. Adults eat bacon and eggs. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, right. That, that, like that, that whole thing. And like sort of Pete and I have been involved in various ways in, in something that's known as the paleo diet, which is a, a terrible name for, for, 
uh, or not things. eating cereal for breakfast. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, it's a terrible. It's a terrible name for the idea that hey, maybe there's too much like refined starch. Uh, yeah. In it, we in won't it. get too much into that now because we have. Because speaking of digestive processes, we have the purge to talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Look, uh, look I do want to. I do want to. If we are moving on to another topic, I do want to say I'm not okay. Don't let. Don't let the flippancy and the joking about the Thundercats and the Care Bears think that that I'm okay with any of these things that are happening. Like yeah, I'm clearly not okay with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just trying. We're trying to have a conversation well, that gets into some okay. of the details around it. You know what? I'm kicking out the purge for about five about five minutes because I want to. I want to. I want to. All crime it. is legal, Matt. We can go back on any topic we want. <laughs> the, no, I will not. I will not allow my dictatorial authority as the host of this podcast for whatever kind of dubious good that that is uh be undermined you know big rather is watching <laughs> um the right this is this is the thing right like the conversation that we're having now is is an attempt and it's it's sort of whimsical it's it's a little you know it touches on sort of being frivolous at, at certain moments but like we're trying to understand the dynamics of these things as you know we're trying to kind of organize our thinking about it in in a certain way by reference to fiction and by reference to certain of jokes and you know all these things we're trying to think our way uh, around these things this is a separate conversation than the normative conversation that needs to happen uh, around a, a lot of these things which is you know political and ethical and and touches on a lot of stuff that we traditionally don't get into on on overthinking it um <laughs> except except recently apparently if you read our articles uh, <laughs> you know largely because largely because we want to i i don't know I, actually i won't speak for anyone largely because i as the you know as the kind of uh, big editor of overthinking it right like want want us to be a place where where we can celebrate things we like and enjoy things we like and enjoy the celebration of of things we yeah. like and, and we want to we want to pitch a big tent well, well right also that too <laughs> and, but i mean i don't, I don't know I don't, I don't want to i don't want pitching a big tent to mean that we all have to swallow all of the legitimate grievances that we may have against against everybody but i you know i find on the internet that the thing that people like is airing grievances <laughs> you know and that uh, like and that that disturbs me a little bit and this is the thing about like big brother is watching or or that's double think or that's you know a lot of these sort of 1984 when these 1984 um things are deployed my problem, I, I have a problem with them. And my problem with them is not that they're inaccurate ever necessarily. It's that they're conversation stoppers, right? And I feel, uh, I feel this way around a lot of kind of slogans, uh, especially among my community, the right thinking progressives of America, right? Like the, the, and I mean, not, I mean, right thinking as in, you know, well-educated, not in political right thinking, in the left-thinking progressives of America, right? <laughs> like um, that, there are a lot of a lot of things that a, a, a lot of kind of slogans that have sprung up around legitimate injustice or, you know, um, uh, legitimate forms of, of systemic or individual oppression that still amount to nothing more than a very sophisticated form of name calling or, or a, a way of kind of shutting down the conversation at, at precisely the point when, uh, like uh, when we should be kind of listening more closely to one another, when we should yes. sort of be taking care to pay attention to one another's uh, experience. And, and one of them, I don't know, I like, I, I feel like I could rattle off a bunch of these, but I'm, uh, but I'm almost afraid to, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to like offend any constituency, but one, like, let's take the, let's take a uh, most general one. One is like, uh, oh, check your privilege or your privilege is showing, right? That's a way of shaming and shutting someone up, you know, because you think, you think that they are kind of arrogating to themselves, you know, the power to make certain statements that are oppressive to other people. And it sort of recapitulates the kind of, you know, it recapitulates the, the sort of oppression. And uh, so this is my problem with reference to, to these things or to sort of using works of fiction, uh, 
as a as a uh, means of buttressing normative arguments or ethical arguments, right? Like fiction is mercurial. Its uh, works of art are are notoriously resistant to like pinning down meanings, right? Auden famously said, poetry makes nothing happen. And of course that's wrong, but, uh, but he was living in a time when the poets wanted to make, um, very, uh, you know, certain things happen like, like, uh, with regard to the war in Spain or with regard to certain political causes they were, that they were behind, uh, that they were behind. And, and they found that poetry couldn't, um, couldn't uh, make them happen. Uh, I think it's more accurate to say that poetry makes all kinds of things happen, but they're never the things that you expect, right? Mm. And that, and never the things that you would sort of will uh, out of your political convictions. Um, And so, right, this is my problem with the, with the, the discourse making use of terms of uh, like the uh, Orwellian or, or big brother is watch. Or that's just big brother. Or that's double thinker. You know, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, right. Because it's a, and, and I guess larger problems. I don't know. I feel like the wind has been so, taken out of my sails. So what if Matt, what if we went the other way? What if you liked hating people? <laughs> and what if you actually didn't want to hear anything that they had to say? What if the big problem with our society isn't that we don't listen to each other enough, it's that we listen to each other too much? And we let people talk who uh, should instead be relegated to action. What if the solution to all of our social ills were merely to exacerbate and aggravate and heighten uh, the already hostile stance uh, and dehumanization that we enact all on each other on a daily basis uh, on the Internet? What if there were 12 hours every year where all crime was legal and if there was somebody you didn't like you could just kill them wouldn't that be awesome if you had (laughs) one shot (laughs) i mean really i think there is a segue here because i think that the way that you're you're talking about uh name calling and and the way that we engage with each other is is as I mean, friends, I want to venture to say, in the sort of general sense that, like, let's be friends um, versus enemies, right? And when we meet each other in the sort of public forum, um, one way of trying to resolve that would be let's be nice to each other and try to calm down and have a conversation. And the other one is, like, everybody out there has nothing worthwhile to say and should be murdered uh, if they're not like me or if they, and that, that's how, and only when everyone is hunkered down, heavily armed, shooting anything that moves, will we truly be successful as a civilization. Uh, but uh, I mean, the purge is sort of a fantasy along those lines. It sort of assumes that the people who can't survive a war of all against all on their merits are the problem in society, right? Or that the catharsis of our constant hatred of each other uh, were that only to be heightened more would cure us and heal us of these ills, which are of course different things. But you know, whichever one you want to take take a look at, um, it's also li- a home that- invasion horror movie. What? <laughs> yeah, that last formulation is almost Roddenberryan in its right. Like, if if only we had the technology to to kill each other, right? We could cure ourselves of the of the need to kill each other. <laughs> in the 20th century, nobody hates each other because everyone hates each other. <laughs> it totally makes sense. That's not double think at all. Like, yeah, that's free, not a freedom is slavery. Orwellian, jeez. Um, so here's the thing. I didn't see The Purge. I've been talking about The Purge nonstop for like a month. I'm not, not nonstop. There was that bit about The Fast and the Furious that we did for a while. <laughs> but I've been talking about The Purge a lot because it advertised really aggressively uh, on the internet. And it because like the whole – because it has this beautiful – at least in the way the trailer communicated it, it has this beautiful gap between the premise and the actual movie where it has this really complicated and cockamamie but also kind of compelling in kind of like a high school uh, political club kind of way premise um and then it is a horror movie about a bunch of people trying to kill ethan hawk right like and and lena and lita tell me what how to pronounce her last name again matt uh heady heady i call her headley too much it's lena heady um of game of thrones fame uh and then and, they're trying and to- sarah connor Chronicles. Fame. exactly exactly that's, i mean that's that's very funny right because uh uh that there's a joke in I think it's in Blazing Saddles, isn't it? About that where uh uh Hedley Lamar and Hedy Lamar, the starlet never mind. Go uh, sorry, Pete, continue. <laughs> well, so the, the reason I didn't see the actual purge is that I keep thinking of all of the better movies 
and I may even write a post to this effect at some point, but all of the better movies that you could make from the premise of The Purge, right? Which is this idea that every year there's a 12-hour period where all crime is legal, right? Like there's institute this thing, thinking that, the, that A, the, the undesirable elements will kill each other off and or the catharsis of this violence will satisfy our need to commit ills and crimes and that unemployment... The other thing is, as a consequence of this thing, unemployment is like unheard of and everything is better in, in America because we have this purge, right? Um, and so I think of, of ideas like, okay, like, uh, like there's two neighbors, right? And one of them has a tree with a branch that hangs over the other neighbor's yard, right? And, like, and he really wants to get rid of that branch, but he can't because the tree is on the other guy's property. And the, the whatever, however the laws work, uh, he's not allowed to cut down this guy's tree branch. And so he waits for the purge to happen so that he can go out with his clippers and his saw and he can chop down this tree branch. But like everything is going to heck around him. So there's kind of like a Shaun of the Dead situation where like he's, he has to like go through all these crazy unlikely scenarios with nuts things happening around him uh, just so that he can get the tree branch to cut down. Or there was another one where it was like a bunch of kids kidnap a bully during the purge and lock him in a basement right? and are like, and are like trying to visit all sorts of hateful things on him because uh, they hate him so much because he's a bully and because the purge brings out the best in people and clearly violence is the way that we all become better human beings uh but unfortunately they they don't wind their watches or something or like or their iphone gets desynced is probably the better way of saying it and uh they accidentally keep him captive past the end of the purge and the movie is they have to keep him captive for a whole year until the next purge when they can let him out uh, because if they let him out during uh, during the regular time, he'll run to the police and they'll all get arrested. But there's no emergency services and all crime is legal. So, uh, yeah. Or you could do the one about a guy who writes uh, trillions of dollars in put options in the names of other people committing gross financial fraud, uh, which is legal because all crime is legal because of the purge. Wait, is, it, is it all crime is legal, but or is it like there's like there an, or is it just a general absence of laws, right? So let's say like during this twelve hour period, um, you know, if I didn't want to obey a building code regulations and I wanted to build uh, a, a building cheaply and, it, and that would otherwise in an otherwise illegal fashion, then I could do that. Maybe that's what solves unemployment. Now you're that, thinking. During, now you're thinking with purges. That's how it works. <laughs> during this during this twelve hour period, there's no government regulation, so like all this awesome free enterprise is releasing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's the joke, right? The joke is that the the movie is is uh, is marketed as all crime is legal, right? Which I just think is hilarious because uh, the laws do so much more than prohibit what we commonly think of as crime, right? Like, like there's this idea that um, you know. Uh, that 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 it's like the old west right like, like it's the idea of the old west where like without without the law then like the white hats and the black hats finally get to shoot it out at the okay corral and we see who the real good guys are right like without the law there's like a purifying moral effect on our relationships with one another when like really it's important to remember that the old west the absence of law also meant like you know the lack of enclosure of land and like the reason that the corrupt railroad barons were running around is because of like you know they're not being a legal authority to like really be in place to help monitor their activities and their labor practices like there is no OSHA in the old west which is why all the Chinese laborers are being abused you know like like um there's this whole thing that the law does which is settle our everyday business or help or provide us a framework for settling our everyday business which doesn't really operate in a paradigm of crimes and punishments um it, you know and it's the civil law right and the common law and civil law and stuff and there's and a lot of the people i've gotten in lengthy arguments about the purge with online for my own, own amusement have said like well clearly you wouldn't honor any contracts that happened during the purge and i'd be like why not like do people not honor deals that happen over illegal commerce right like is is the, is like is business just going to stop because there are no laws because we can certainly demonstrate that it doesn't right um and it's this pop culture fantasy. Like, we've been talking about making sense of surveillance states by, uh, by looking at fictional surveillance states. I, I, really, I really have a strong visceral reaction to fictional, like, fictional minimalist states or, like, fictional anarcho-utopia. Uh, I wish Parrish were on this podcast because he has a very different opinion on these matters than I am. And I like talking with him about his thinking about these kind of, like, um, how he kind of analyzes kind of anarcho-syndicalist or anarcho-capitalist societies. But I always react really negatively to pop culture depictions uh, of forms of anarchism when they don't take into account kind of like everyday things like oh like what is the, like I, you mean i can just make a chinese restaurant wherever i want like this is great you know like there's no laws all crime is legal i'm going to turn the ground floor of my of my apartment building into a jewelry shop 
right? And like that's illegal. And it's like it's 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 people were like, well, that clearly there's a gut reaction to that where it's like, well, that is such a petty, petty thing that that you would think that that sh- that that is even illegal, right? That 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 should that should not even be part of the conversation. Like the laws that prohibit you from turning the fr- the front the bottom floor of your apartment building into a jewelry shop are like are like silly and have no purpose, and yet they affect our lives so profoundly. And this again goes back to the idea of this surveillance state trying to get you to eat cereal, right? Which is that like. You know, that's where it follow the money, sheeple, right? Like, that's <laughs> Which is like, if all, if all crime is legal and Ethan Hawke ain't on eBay, like, he's doing something wrong, is right. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're not, if you are not like, if you don't have a secret cave under your house where you are making raw milk cheese, right? <laughs> Exactly. Like, what, why aren't you forging Mona Lisa's? Right? Like, um, I mean, the, uh, there was a question that was posed by the marketing team of The Purge on Reddit, right? Which was like, uh, who, who, yeah, exactly. Wow, that's, that's a great idea right there. <laughs> um, and most, most of the thread was this movie is terrible and the worst idea ever, and you should all be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it was who would benefit the most from The Purge if there were no crime for 12 hours? And people are like, oh, it would be big business. Like, oh, it would be it would be people who had guns and i'd be like no it would be the county clerks and the state registrars <laughs> right um because like for example you know who holds the actual records that officially say who has natural gas drilling rights right. in a given state right it's like well if you you to commit you you have to figure out a way to make it such that seizing this goods is a crime like, see, it can't just be like it can't just be that you say that you own it. You have to figure out a way such that if the only reason that you can't do it is because it's a crime. <laughs> yeah, right? No, no, you're right. Exactly. You have to have recourse to legal remedy. I mean, you have to have recourse to the uh, recourse to legal remedy. Yeah. Um, you have to have recourse to legal remedy once the purge is over. If you haven't secured that, you haven't had a very successful purge. Exactly. You have to have a document that you can turn to, which is obviously fake or fraudulent, but which can't be proved as such because it was made during the purge. <laughs> yeah. And that's why the county clerks stand to make a killing. Counterfeiter, right? like, counterfeiters, like, too. I mean, counterfeiters, for the, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, and that, that's, the other, that's the other big problem with the purge is that like, crimes don't just exist for 12 hours. Like, if you shot someone, their family would be mad at you. Right? Like, you can't suspend civil law because there's wrongful death lawsuits. Right? So like, if, if the whole point of the purge is to make it a situation where people can have their murder fantasies lived out uh, or made into fantasies with Ethan Hawke rather than other fantasies, um, then it's like you have to also deal with the civil law because there are civil laws around murder. Like the laws in the Bible against murder are largely like compensatory, right? Like you have to give up this many goats if this thing happens or you get stoned to death in recompense, eye for an eye, ransom, all that stuff. Um, so I don't know. I've been endlessly amused by the subject of the purge and like thinking about the ways in which uh, it presents an intuitive way of understanding uh, our society that is totally wrong. Uh, <laughs> that you could just like turn everything off for twelve hours. Of course, maybe the movie addresses this. Maybe the movie, which I have not seen, is like actually the people who are in control are still in control, and we're just sort of letting our underlying social problems just go crazy for twelve hours. And it's actually very clearly and 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 uh, articulated like what crime are really legal and what ones aren't and we just like to pretend right that um that 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 we're giving freedom to everybody and it's a cathartic act when really we just enjoy blood sport and that's why we're doing it right like you don't i mean i don't know who the running man's lawyer was right for that show like the legal department for the running man the legal department for the hunger games they have their work work cut out for them uh to justify all the things that are happening but for the framework of the story you kind of accept that they allow this sort of narrow band of things to happen and that's okay so I feel like I purged all over the place right now. <laughs> and I, I purged all over our otherwise very guys, cogent podcast. Guys, well, no, it's, uh, well, I'm not sure about cogent, but like, I think that you're, I think that you're kind of to, 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 uh, take one of, of Schopenhauer's 38 ways to win an argument and, and generalize out from your point, right? Until I find something I can take issue with. Um, I, I you, so often, uh, dyst- right, sci fi dystopias ignore the banal. Right. Yes. I- ignore the the just the details of living life that are so 
right, that are so crucial that you know exactly how your lock sticks, right? And if you're, you know, and that you know, like, the precise, like, way to jiggle your key in order to get into your apartment, right? And that, like, if, if you're... I don't know if the key is replaced by some like smart lock that scans your retina or something like that. Um, Right. The, the interesting story, right. The lived experience of that is going to have less to do with the oppressive feeling of like having your retina scanned and your identity verified and more to do with the fact that like, if you're squinting at all or blinking, it won't work, you know? So you have to like angle your head in a specific way so that the laser beam can scan your retina Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you know, get the, get the thing right. Like, uh, yeah. How in in Back to the Future 2, hydrate level 5 is too much hydration, and hydrate level 4 isn't hydrated enough. So you wish there were a hydrate level 4.5 to make your your big pizza, to make your tiny dehydrated pizza into a big pizza. Uh, But it doesn't exist because there's 4 and there's 5, and there's no setting in between that, you know? And that's like, that's what these characters' lives would be about in these, you know, in these scenarios, and no one would have time to because they'd be too busy, like, you know, wondering if they can go down to the Best Buy and get a new hydration machine. I think, and I think if what, because I, I think you're, you're, I think what you're saying totally hits the nail on the head across the whole conversation. Uh, because I, I think if what we're feeling is a certain gap between our cultural understanding of the realities of both surveillance states and kind of anarchism and, and just social systems in general, right? We have so much speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy that imagines the way that the world might be. And yet when we confront something like the prism situation, it feels a bit like it's inadequate or doesn't quite match up. And part of it is that whereas the, the fiction can afford to ignore the banal, the reality won't because the banal is what matters. Mm. Right? Like, and that's yeah. the, totally the idea of why we are more worried by the government looking for terrorists than we are worried by companies tracking our, our, the breakfast cereals or tracking the words we type and how they influence what soap we use. Right. Right? Like, because, because this is incredibly banal and it seems like something that's worthy of ignoring. ignoring right? And like, like the, the Star Trek computer obviously isn't tracking what song Riker is playing on the trombone, right? Except that it is. It has to be. Right? Like, I mean, if if it it wouldn't be very useful. Yeah, it wouldn't be very useful if it weren't. Right. And so the challenge then for our culture is, you know, it's a, and maybe maybe somebody out there, I'm sure there's so much science fiction out there. I'm sure somebody has read something that's really great. I bet Terry Pratchett has something awesome about this because he wrote awesome things about everything. Um, but it's like, where is the fiction and pop culture that helps us understand the intrusion of these mechanisms into the banal areas of our lives as well as into the grave and intense and dire areas of our lives? And, and how can we find that narrative that helps us make sense of all of this? And perhaps somewhere in that narrative, is like a cultural lever that we can pull to help us feel like we have a little bit more discursive, if not influence, than just traction in discussing it. You know, because it's 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 kind of it feels uh, powerless to rail against, uh, you know, and again, not to get into the, uh, the ethics of it specifically, but to rail against a program that tracks terrorists, but to be totally fine with a program that tracks everything else. Right, like it just seems like you're pissing into the wind. Yeah, I right? mean, they're, and that's they're... legal during the purge. You can do that in the purge. Uh, <laughs> you can piss into the wind. You can yeah. throw mud on Superman's cape. You can. Yeah, exactly. He can't do anything about it because he he abides by the American way. Actually, wait, Superman. Superman during the purge. There's a movie for you. Like, how does Superman deal with the fact that all crime is legal? Does he try to impose the law? Does the government ask him not to? <laughs> like, does the government ask Superman during its twelve hours of cathartic law breaking? Like, Superman just look the other way, or you try committing some crimes yourself. Just to give everyone the flavor. And knock over the liquor stores. Why don't you steal a whole bunch of gold uh, from like a trophy manufacturing plant or something? <laughs> like a bunch of trophies. I don't know. You like trophies. You like praise. Put them in your fortress of solitude next to your ice. I think Superman I mean, would, just, would just go and push the earth around uh, faster so wait, that the 12, the 12 hours would be over. Yeah, you you wouldn't fly backwards so that you could keep living the twelve hours over and over again and <laughs> until the half the Earth burned and the other half froze. Right. Uh, uh. He it would not be a good situation. 
Well, uh, you know what else is not a good situation? The end of the <laughs> overthinking it podcast. Oh. It always it always makes me sad when we have to uh, when we have to call a stop to the podcast. Um, but uh, we'll be back. The flame, next... the flame that burns for a government measured time interval of half as long burns for a government measured luminosity of twice as bright. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, so we'd like to uh, we'd like to greet uh, all our friends in the NSA and invite them uh, if any NSA. NSA agents would like to write into the podcast, you can do so at podcast at overthinkingit.com. Uh, or if they would like to call or text us, you can do so at 203-285-6401. Or, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, any member of America's military industrial complex, as well as any other listener of the podcast, is welcome to leave comments on the show notes for this episode, uh, which you can find on the site. Um, it's an exciting week. Uh, we're going to have the, uh, we're going to put onto the podcast podcast feed the uh, Game of Thrones finale um, uh, Google Hangout recap that we do. We'll put an audio version of that onto the feed this week. So just a a warning, when your podcatcher uh, downloads something tomorrow or Tuesday uh, and you want to start listening to it uh, from the Overthinking It podcast feed, it will contain Game of Thrones spoilers up to and including season three. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll warn you again, uh, next time, but, uh, just so, just so that, you know, um, we'll be back next week with another podcast until then you can visit us on the web where, well, you know where, cause you've been tracking us <laughs> anyway. <laughs> at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. In the next Game of Thrones book, be about how for 12 hours all crime in Westeros is legal. Westeros is legal 24 hours a day. <laughs> oh. Here's the deal. If you're in the NSA and you're monitoring our Skype call where we're recording this podcast, and you're also monitoring a member of the Wu-Tang Clan, <laughs> and you arrange for Skype to cross our lines so that a member of the Wu-Tang Clan finds himself on our podcast, you get one-tenth of the package of mint mulattoes. Represent the CIA. The FBI. (laughs) 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 And the ghost face killer. Nothing could be either.